When you think of composting, coffee grounds, eggshells, and produce probably come to mind. But the list doesn't end there. In fact, a lot of what you are throwing away is biodegradable. In fact, something that's gaining in popularity, composting human remains. A Utah lawmaker has filed a bill that would offer what's called natural organic reduction or human composting as an option for a traditional burial. Today, I'm going off the radar and getting down and dirty to talk about one of nature's most fascinating processes. I'll be talking to a composting expert about how to get started, what you can and can't compost, and the scientific process that happens when you toss those banana peels in the compost pile. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie, and you're listening to Off the Radar, a production of the National Weather Desk. On the show, we dig deep into topics about weather, climate, the ocean, space, and much more. Our goal is to help you better understand the weather and to love it as much as we do. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Now, I know what you're thinking. A podcast episode about composting sounds about as exciting as watching paint dry. But I promise you, there's more to this topic than meets the eye or the nose. I was kind of in the same boat myself, but then I met Dr. Deb Neer. She's a soil ecologist with the University of Vermont, and she's done extensive research on composting. And she's sharing her knowledge on the composting basics, as well as the impacts on global climate. She also has some great tips on how to compost at home without making a stinky mess. So whether you're just compost curious or ready to plan a green burial, this episode is for you. Here's my chat with Dr. Deb Neer. All right. So tell me what your expertise is. I know that you're a composting expertise, but what does that mean? You surely don't have a master's in composting, right? <laughs> no, I and I, I kind of have an eclectic kind of multidisciplinary background, right? Um, my bachelor's degree was in uh, environmental science. My master's was in plant ecology. My PhD was in plant pathology. And I, I consider myself a soil ecologist. And that basically means I study the biology of soil. When I moved to Vermont in 2004, I really had some people very active in compost and said, hey, we should really collaborate. And that's how I kind of got started. So what can you tell me about composting versus, say, food in a landfill? What's the process difference there? One of the really, you know, fundamental differences is, is composting is an aerobic process, meaning you have oxygen in there, where if you go to a landfill, 
it gets covered up and sealed in and, and it goes through a fermentation process, meaning no oxygen. So it goes anaerobic. And so when you have aerobic with oxygen or without, those are very different bio biochemical pathways. And the end result of composting is carbon dioxide. The end result of um, anaerobic or fermentation in a landfill would be methane. And so you have different gases coming out of that. But both greenhouse gases. So, yes. So tell me why we want to compost and not trash it. Well, I can get on gases, but first I'll just say is when it's anaerobic, it decomposes very, very slowly. So you put it in a landfill, it's probably not going to decompose much. You're just kind of burying it. If you're composting it, um, it's going to decompose. And the thing is, is methane uh, has is much more powerful in terms of its impact. Right. And like in the short term, um, from what I understand. And another set of gases that can come out of um, these anaerobic processes are nitrous oxides. Okay. And those are, um, you know, based on nitrogen, those are like 273 times the power of CO2. So they're even more potent and it's something we have to be, you know, aware of and those, you know, trying to understand why and when that kind of process occurs. Okay. I've never heard of that. That's interesting. Um, do different foods emit different amounts of these gases? Like say if you're, if you're prioritizing what you compost, is there something that's really potent that we should really prioritize getting in the compost bin? Oh, that's a great question. I uh, I hadn't really investigated that much until recently. Um, it kind of, I thought about it. And really, the ones that contribute the most to like greenhouse gases, like the nitrous oxides and so forth, are actually high protein foods, um, like red meats, for example, and dairy products, so forth, and some seafood. So part of it is these have proteins, and proteins are very high in nitrogen. So it's the nitrogen ends up coming, you know, out as these byproducts. I um, so there's a in my city, there is a local composting program. The city runs a composting program. And in order to participate, you go through training. And so when I went through this training, mm. I was really surprised at what can go in the compost bin. It was such an extensive list and there were so many surprises on there for me. So can you break it down and let me know what you can compost and what you can't compost? Sure. Um, you know, most people know fruits and vegetables, right? Or they think backyard leaves. I always think eggshells. So That's like, that was the big one. Eggshells, <laughs> coffee grounds, yeah. tea bags, et cetera. Um, although you have to be a little careful about tea bags because some of them have plastic in them and some of them have little staples in them and those do not uh, compost very well. Those are contaminants. Probably some of the ones that people might not think of is you can actually compost um, deceased animals or wildlife for your pets. They would break down, but it takes a special attention when you're doing that because, as you can imagine, one is people don't always feel that comfortable with it emotionally, but, you know, and you want to bury it pretty deep. That's dark, Deb. <laughs> so that's the most probably bizarre one. But you can also compost, like, uh, you know, paper leftover paper scraps as long as it doesn't have chemicals in it and wood how do you know if it has chemicals on it like it does white paper have chemicals in it 
Usually you don't want the bleach because part of it is that can harm the microbes because that's one way we disinfect. And when you're disinfecting, what you're doing is killing microbes. And that would be like killing the, the organisms that are doing the decomp. So like if you're doing napkins, let's say, for example, it'd be better or paper towel to do the more um, ones that haven't been bleached, like the brown ones that you get. Although I think some of the really simple plain white ones would be fine. I do it actually at my house <laughs> and don't have any problem. What about oh, cardboard um, is another one that people don't think about. What about like, um, so my compost bin says cardboard is fine, but not like pizza cardboard boxes because of the grease. Can you explain that? Oh, that's interesting because there's a real debate about this, right? The one I've heard is there's a big composter in in um, southern Vermont that I know, and he likes getting the soiled pizza boxes. Part of it is we have a limitation of carbon. When you have lots of food waste, it gets kind of wet and it's high in nitrogen and you need something drier and more with higher content of carbon. So I personally think it's fine (laughs) to do compost with the grease. Um, Where I've heard people that are maybe collectors, they call them haulers, uh, where they're collecting, you know, waste, they often don't want, they say they don't want cardboard, partly because there's another market for cardboard if it's clean. They can recycle it and probably, you know, get a better return by recycling it than putting it in the compost pile. So I would actually say if it's dirty cardboard, it'd be better to put in the compost pile. Right. Okay. So that leads to my next question, um, which is, When it comes to recycling, I've done interviews where experts have said, you know, when in doubt, throw it out. You could contaminate the whole thing. Is it the same case with composting? Will you ruin the whole batch of like there's a piece of tape on the cardboard or the paper that you threw in there? Is the whole batch gone? (laughs) That's a great question. I mean, it's all a matter of degree. You know, I think, you know, just one piece, that's not going to make or break. It's about it's a cumulative amount that you have in there, right? Um, one of the things that's uh, kind of annoying to some composters is you get those produce stickers, you know, at the grocery store. And those are plastic and those are contaminants. Yes. Trying to peel it off your banana peel is so hard. <laughs> I know. And they put it on each individual one sometimes. And I'm like, it'd be great if we had like a biodegradable ink or some other way to put those markings totally. on there. Yeah. So and there are people that are investigating how to do that. Uh, because most people think they're degradable and they aren't. Um, so you can compost. The things you can't are things like metals or stones, <laughs> you know, rocks that way. Um, plastics, most plastics you don't want. One thing that's tricky about plastic is, it, or it gets really confusing to the consumer, is that you hear about these, you know, biodegradable and compostable plastics. It takes pretty incredible perfect composting, a very hot composting, to actually degrade those materials. And so a facility that isn't that tightly controlled, and often if they're under pressure, they're such a big facilities, they might just say, I don't want any of them, because they end up being a contaminant if they don't have the perfect conditions. I'm at University of Vermont, and in fact, our university purchased a lot of these compostable plastics, um, and now we can't um, the local composter says, I don't want them mm. because they weren't breaking down in these piles. But the one good thing is, is there is a, a institute 
um, called BPI. They're a third party that actually tests products to whether it decomposes or not. Yeah. And they run tests on how fast it does. And then they make a big list. So if you are, you know, the purchase agent for some organization, you could look at that list and pick those that you know are going to be degradable and those aren't. So I guess if you can compost your family pet, you can also compost like that chicken that you ate, the bones, the grease, everything can just go in there. So if you're doing a backyard compost, it's usually discouraged from doing meat products. It, it certainly is compostable. You just uh, need to be very conscientious about how you do it. Yeah. But, you know, as you bury your dog when it dies and have it, that's de- that's going to decompose. You're just not calling it compost, but it's the same process. And they're going back to the earth. I'm in a shed in my backyard. I'm like, yeah, my last golden retriever is right out there. <laughs> oh, I, I just finished a semester of teaching a class on compost ecology. And uh, one of the last sessions was on green burials. Yes, let's talk about green burials. I want to talk about green burials. Tell me everything. I found this great TED talk and she was, uh, you know, she worked at a mortuary and was a mortician and, you know, just talking about how toxic the way we handle bodies is. They put it in with nasty chemicals. You put them in vaults and, you know, and metals and concrete, put a lot of natural resources into it, put it in the ground. So we're eating up a lot of natural resources. We're not really returning the nutrients to back to the environment to get recycled. And we're also just taking up a lot of land. It's just, and so the pitch, you know, there is, but, you know, you want to do it well. I mean, the big issue that people get concerned about is diseases. In terms of if somebody was sick, you know, maybe, you know, in the old days, you had like the smallpox epidemic or something. You know, what would you do with those bodies? You wouldn't want to keep that pathogen around. You would want to make sure that that was discarded or so people weren't going to have any exposure. So when you say green burial, I'm curious because um, isn't it still very similar? You're just in like a compostable box and there's just not all these extra unnecessary materials? Yep. So, you know, they're not going to embalm you. They would not put chemicals in there, but it would be probably in some kind of shroud and box, but it'd have to be all materials that can decompose. You know, there's discussions about how deep that you would want to place this body. Do you want to go deeper than six feet? No, they don't. You don't need to go any deeper than what we do now. And But, you know, you always have to be aware of what the water table is, wherever you're at. If it's a really shallow water table, you might want to avoid that. Maybe go to a place that, you know, aren't right at a water table. How long does it take a body to decompose? Oh, that's a great question. I think if you had a big animal, it takes about a year. So I would say somewhere between six, nine months and a year. The bones are going to go last. (laughs) So that's like, you know, I think it's... It sound kind of weird, but I kind of think of it as like cooking a big pot roast. You know, you have the raw meat and that's going to cook first. The longer you cook it, the meat becomes loose from the big bone, right? Um, it, that's that's kind of a decomposition process. And that happens when you're doing the decomposition. The The muscle and the meat's going to decompose first. It's like a slow cooker situation. Yeah, it's a slow cooker situation. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> and the bones eventually will, but they'll take years and years and years. Wow. Are there... I wonder if you can, do you know anything about like where you can choose to have this done or if regular funeral homes are offering this as an option? Uh, There's a, it's a state by state. So some states allow it. Some states, it's many states, it's illegal. Really? Yeah. 
theoretically it should be there, but there's just been a lot of laws and regulations and I think just cultural backlash for people not feeling comfortable about it. I used to live in Toledo, Ohio, and I had a colleague that was looking at old cemeteries and discovered there was this arsenic leak in the water and they were trying to figure out where it came from. And she traced it back to one of the really old cemeteries. They had used it in the embalming. And now we know that's horrible. So then then they came up with the chemicals they use now, which are, you know, a little safer. But, you know, there's still formaldehyde. We know when I was going to school, we used it a lot. But now we know to use it in a chemical fume hood because it's carcinogenic. Well, you know, we found that out after we were straining our hair with it for many years. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, lots of hair products and the other thing is some of those chemicals we, you know, we have in our houses and in our new cars. And- um, okay, so let's go back to our homes and how how you can get started. There's, there are city initiatives that are doing this. There are places that come and just pick it up. Like you just fill your little bucket, they come pick it up and then they bring you back, you know. A nice clean bucket. A nice clean bucket and soil. And so part of, for me, the hardest part is like the stinkiness behind it. And like when I have to go to empty it and like little like bits of moldy things are sticking to the inside and I'm like dry heaving as I'm dumping it out. So any tips you could offer, I will take. The key there is you got to get it picked up on a really regular basis, right? If you have a freezer, the idea is stick it in a plastic bag and throw it in the freezer. That way you're not going to smell it. That's a really good idea. Yeah. So that's one little tip. And then, you know, if it's getting close to pickup time, you can pull all those out and pop them into your bucket and you know, put it on the street. But like it fills up. And once you realize everything that can go in the compost, you're not like throwing anything out anymore. All of a sudden, there's no trash going in your bin between recycling and composting. Like we have no trash anymore. It's crazy. It's just like random little plastic bits that wind up going in the trash. Yeah. And then you get this, you realize how much plastic is going in there, right? Yeah. How much we use. Yeah, I'm down to, I recycle and I, um, you know, separate food waste in my house. I just have a small bag each week of trash. And I could basically have that picked up once a month. So questions about composting at home, um, starting with like, if you do want to do it in your backyard, if you have the space, if you have the means, are there different ways to do it? Because I've seen people who are like putting worms into their compost pile. Do you have to put worms in for this to work? What is the deal with that? There are different types. Um, to really do true composting, there's actually a formal definition of what it was, what it is. It's been published and, you know, out there for, uh, it's by, created by the U.S. Composting Council. And it's really, to, to really do it true to what I would call capital C composting is you need to get it to conditions that it gets very hot. Okay, and that's what we call hot composting or thermophilic composting. Why do we want to get it hot? Part of it is the research shows if you get it to these temperatures that are recommended, you're going to kill pathogens. Um, And they've tested it on human pathogens like listeria or salmonella. And you can also kill like weed seeds, you know, from noxious plants. And I've done some of that work in my own lab and find, yeah, those temperatures really work. Another one, you mentioned worms. That's called vermicomposting. Vermi means worm. They can do it too, but that's going to definitely be a cold composting because worms would die at those hot temperatures. And so it's more of a kind of a room temperature sort of thing. And if you 
do that, you need to have it indoors or a place that it's not going to get to be extreme temperatures because you got to keep your worms alive and active. But it does that. It does a great job. You know, there's uh, I've done some research with vermicomposting and there's there's a lot of beneficial microbes that come into that because as the material goes through the guts of the earthworm, they're actually adding really beneficial microbes to that. So when it comes out and I'm finding I can use some of that material actually to mix in potting mixes and it helps to suppress diseases on plants. Oh, interesting. One is if it smells, something's wrong. And that's often an indicator that it's either too, it could be too wet or it's gone anaerobic. One thing is to make sure you get a nice balance of like, I think the rule of thumb is like two parts carbon to one part nitrogen. Or you could think of browns to greens. You know, they say like browns would be like leaves, cardboard, paper. Greens would be like food scraps. So that you get the right ratio. One is it, the microbes need it for their energy and for their nutrients, but it also helps keep the moisture in control. Um, if you keep that, keep it well oxygenated, which you can do by turning, um, it's also good to have like a, a base underneath your pile that's maybe like coarse wood chips or something, because it kind of helps the airflow for the air to come in and go through the pile. Yeah, that was our like dreaded job as a child, like who had to turn the compost pile. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's a part that's really difficult um, and it's very laborious and that's probably the hardest part. <laughs> but, you know, there's another method that um, I think might be a cool one to consider for apartments and households is it's it's called, it's not composting specifically because it goes anaerobic, but it's bakashi. It's a method that was developed in Japan long, long ago. And uh, you could do it in as small as a bucket and with the food waste. And you have to buy this these little packets of, of microbes. It's kind of proprietary. They call them EM, effective microorganisms. I know enough about microbiology. I can create my own. I don't need to buy that stuff. But you can buy it and you put them in there. And that can decompose your food scraps in about a month. Is that, I wonder, um, the same, I wonder if that's the same thing that I'm seeing in these Instagram ads that I keep being showed about this like system where you just put stuff in there and then it just magically decomposes and then you, like the little drawer pulls out and you've got your little. <laughs> okay. So are you thinking of like a me or something like that? Maybe. I don't know. I, okay. Yeah. My brother just contacted me about it. So I've, I've been reading up on it, but uh, those, those are actually a different process. Those are not about microbes, and it's actually not truly composting, even though they're sold that way. What it's basically doing is dehydrating, chopping and grinding, and then dehydrating. So it is good at reducing the volume of your food waste, and when you dry it down, that's helping to manage the smell. It's not really decomposing. It's not a microbial process, which is what true composting is all about is a managed biological process of decomposition off the radar is a production of the national weather desk make sure you're following the show on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts new episodes publish every tuesday if you know someone that wants to learn more about composting please share this episode with them We'd also love you to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Let us know what you think of the show and give me ideas for future episodes. Special thanks to Dr. Deb Neer for her expertise today. I'm meteorologist Emily Gracie. Make it a great day.